Josh Holiday, and you're listening to the Fresh Coast Podcast. On today's podcast, I'm speaking with Katie Traska-Miller, President of the Michigan Presenters Network and Manager of Community Engagement at Midland Center for the Arts. On this podcast, I speak with Katie about the arts and accessibility, what presenters are working on these days to make performing arts experiences designed for each and every person. This podcast was made possible through the generous support of the Cultural Advocacy Network of Michigan, the Michigan Arts and Culture Council, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We're bringing you the latest stories and headlines on arts and culture here in the Fresh Coast State, our beautiful home in Michigan. Let's dive right in. I'm really excited today. Um, Katie is a great friend and colleague, but also somebody that's doing really important um, and passionate work here in the state, not only at Midland Center for the Arts, but really through her work with Michigan Presenters. But today we really wanted to talk about um, access um, for the arts, but then also like the accessibility portion of this and what what are facilities and organizations doing to make sure that we're creating facilities that are able to be accessed by all people. So Katie, Let's just get started with how did you first start getting into this work and um, why is it so important for organizations such as the center to think about accessibility as a critical part of our everyday work? I do have an uncle, my dad's youngest brother, who has severe disabilities and he has never been in a performing arts space. my grandparents, I didn't know this until I was you know, quite a bit older, my grandparents were huge advocates for the disability community where they live in Dayton, Ohio. They helped get the first accessible playground built in Dayton um, in the 1970s because they were having these personal experiences. Um, so I really started connecting the needs of the community to my own personal work. And honestly, I think that's sometimes what it takes for people to really understand why we need to think about accessibility for all people in the performing arts space. Um, and just when I came to Midlands and I was like, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to serve all people at this point in time? And that's when we started our sensory friendly or relaxed performance or relaxed experience performances here. Well, I think, Katie, you are a fierce advocate for ensuring that there is access for all people. And I think that is one of the most cool and beautiful things about your work. What has that been like to be able to see? people that have not been able to come to performances before because they don't feel comfortable, um, they have fear of the experience and maybe some of the um, judgment they might get from other normal patrons. Like, what has it been and what has the response been from people in the community to come and finally get to experience the center with folks um, that have these sensory sensitivities? Right. Um, it's, personally, it's a really incredible experience to be able to see the impact um, and it you know that's me personally I'm all about the impact and making sure that people are having a great experience um, but I think for those that are coming to our spaces maybe for the first time or the second time the idea of a no judgment and shush free zone uh, is almost revolutionary and really is that signifier that indicator that they are welcome regardless uh, the first time we did it, we did a relaxed performance, was with our community theater um, group here at the center, actually. They did a sensory-friendly performance of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and we chose that because it is a family-friendly musical, um, and so we brought in uh, uh, someone from our educational services agency here in Midland to do training with the cast, 
um, training with our volunteer ushers, um, and then we make modifications to the performance environment. Uh, that's simply, it's really simple to do. So you keep the house lights on at maybe 30%. Keep the, the doors open to the hallway so people can come and go as they need to. You make sure everyone understands they can bring comfort items, snacks, iPads, headphones, whatever it is they need uh, in, in order to enjoy the performance. Um, and you make sure it's very clear to the audience members that this is a judgment-free and shush-free zone. You are more than welcome to do whatever you need to do, whether it's get up, move around, stand up and dance, talk to your neighbor, um, come and go as you need to, adding a, a take a break, what we call a take a break space in our lobby, which has quiet activities, um, with dim lights, that sort of thing. Doing those, all those things are really easy. And the impact that it has on the people that come is, I don't even know how to describe it, um, had me in tears, frankly, <laughs> the first time we did it. Um, there was a, uh, so two examples. Um, first of all, this isn't just for children. Um, this is for anybody that needs a kind of just a modified environment. So first of all, there was a, a, a elderly woman who came in who had an oxygen tank that beeps like every minute. She shared with me after the show, this is the first time she had been to any sort of live performance for years because she felt uncomfortable having that medical equipment that would make noise because she was worried about judgment of others and being asked to leave or being told to be quiet or getting a side eye, you know, glance from somebody else in the audience. And we made her feel comfortable enough to come to this show. Um, and then there was another family with a, young, with a younger boy who traveled from three hours away because this was the only opportunity in the state at the time, you know, that season to come to a relaxed performance. And this boy had, you know, a kind of case of severe autism. And he gave me a hug after the show and his parents were floored because he doesn't touch people. That's one of his things is he just doesn't, physical contact is not something he's super comfortable with. And he was so, he had such a great experience that he gave me a hug, a complete stranger. So I just think those two instances really show the impact you can have by making a few changes and really opening the doors and actively inviting people in, making sure they know what the circumstances are going to be, what to expect, whether that's through social stories, videos on your website, direct invitations, um, talking about it in the press, and then being present in the moment with them during the course of the show. Um, and it's our hope that once they move through these experiences, come a handful of times maybe, then they're comfortable coming to a quote unquote typical or normal performance, right? They've learned the ins and outs, they feel comfortable being in an, in an audience. They maybe build up some relationships with our staff, other patrons, um, and then they can enjoy a wider breadth of experiences here at the center. I think what's so cool about all these programs is there are so many people in the community that we maybe don't even realize would feel more comfortable having access to these sensory-friendly programs. Um, and the, the initiatives have evolved and grown, and, and we're now starting to talk about um, in partnerships with Veterans Affairs and the importance of serving veterans, um, particularly with PTSD, that might prefer a relaxed experience. And the, the terminology has evolved and changed too, right? And that is all part of this accessibility conversation. And really, the DEIA work that we're all doing is continually evolving and changing as we look into ourselves and say, how do we do better? How do we know better, correct? Yeah, once you know better, do better. Right, that's kind of the core of it. Um, like I said at the very beginning, like this was a completely new world for me five, six years ago. Uh, but once I knew better, I made a conscious choice to do better. 
um, and really embrace this idea of arts for all. For me, at my very core, um, I believe like at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, you know, pyramid of needs is like food and shelter and clothing, but also arts. You have to feed the body and the soul for people to be able to progress up that pyramid, right? And it, the arts play such a role in that. Um, so as we are thinking about who are we not serving, who doesn't feel welcome in our spaces, who is not seeing themselves on our stages, you have to consider the gamut of that. Everybody from every marginalized community, whether they look like you, sound like you, or are in the same room as you or not. Um, there are some disabilities that are hidden uh, that you would maybe not know, like your colleague has a disability or your neighbor, but they could also you know, be struggling with these things and, and not feel comfortable coming in, into the space with you. Um, so it's really important to think broadly and look at every single part of your community and ask, are they coming? And if they're not, why aren't they? And dig into those reasons in a really intentional way. Well, as we talk about you and everyone knowing better to make these conscious decisions, um, I would say that we're all looking forward ahead at like what do we need to do and what do we need to create to ensure that all people have a more um, comfortable and welcomed experience in any organization they're walking into. Um, and you and I were just talking the other day about um, it wasn't until 1990 that the ADA Act was passed. And ADA compliance, uh, I hate even saying ADA compliance, can you imagine that we have to comply with an act to make sure that people with physical barriers have an opportunity to walk, in, not just to come in the door, right? And so how important is it for organizations such as the center who's gonna be going through a transformation, the importance to think about accessibility um, for people with physical abilities too, to be able to come in. And you know, in our lobby, we even um, preface to folks before they come in that we have brick in our lobby yeah. and so we want to make sure that people are prepared if this is the first time they've come to the center and they are bound to a wheelchair that coming through there may be some of those barriers and that our staff is here to support you and how do we continue to make sure that those interactions that people have are pleasant because they can plan ahead they can prepare they can know to ask questions um, and i think that's really key as we continue to look at accessibility in all of its forms is Maybe not just always look at how we can comply in what we're doing now, right. but what are we looking ahead towards? That like going above and beyond, right? So not thinking about what's just in this moment, but 50 years from now or within the next 50 years, what are people going to need? We can't necessarily anticipate everything, but we have way better resources now and we know a lot more and we are way more conscious of the issues that we currently have in our facilities and with our programming, and there are solutions out there. So if we as arts administrators and purveyor of the arts aren't thinking about how do we do the best and not just the not just the minimal thing we need to do, but how do we go above and beyond to really truly serve people now and in the future, then like what are we doing? If we're not, <laughs> we want to put the best on our stages, so why aren't we putting the best in our facilities and in our signage, in our restrooms, um, in our programming, like, why aren't we doing those things too? So if you're thinking about starting this journey or you're starting this journey as an organization or as an individual, I really encourage you to like lead with an open heart and really think about how do I do better than just complying with a lot? How do we go above and beyond to really serve everyone? And this 
accessible conversation is so key to the work we're doing. But you may mention earlier about something that we all have been doing for a little while, and that has been thinking about how do we get um, underserved communities to experience arts and culture for a first time sometimes. And through some of the youth programming and the matinee performance that you guys offer here at the center, um, you are bringing access to arts and culture to these students that sometimes have never been inside a performing arts center, have never seen the, the green seats at Midland Center for the Arts. <laughs> what is that experience like and why is it important to create these uh, matinee performances that kids can experience even if their families maybe don't have the resources to come? Yeah, um, so I go up on stage in front of the matinee audience before every single show and welcome the students and the teachers and the parents. And I always ask the kids to raise their hands if this is the first time they've ever been to a performing arts event. And it is always more than 50% of the hands that go up. And I'm always floored. Um, and I'm always grateful that those parents and educators are taking the time and to figure out the logistics, find the money, put the kids on the buses or in the vans or in the cars, get them to the centers, you know, and then have that experience. I'm really grateful for that. We can, I can, find the artists, book them, bring them here, um, set up the show, work with our tech team. I can do all of those things, but without the other half of that equation, the teachers primarily, and their administrators saying yes, and then the parents acting as chaperones, those things wouldn't happen. Um, so it's important because other, without those two components, us finding these great artists and building these experiences, and then the teachers saying yes, uh, these kids would not clearly not be having these experiences that are showing them cultures and people from around the world, helping them with their STEM education, um, diving into history, uh, civil rights, uh, what it's like to be a, you know, a young person today, or in the past or today, I should say, um, experiencing music, maybe that they otherwise wouldn't be able to hear, um, see dance, maybe dance, they've <laughs> never seen a live dance performance, we bring dance to our stages. Uh, it is, again, it feeds the soul, it helps students find their own creative spark, and maybe gives them permission even to follow their own creative dreams. Whether that is being a painter, uh, being a poet, participating in theater, being in choir or marching band, um, writing a novel, like whatever those things are that they are dreaming of doing, this singular experience might become that core memory that inspires them to follow those dreams or become a scientist or whatever it is, right? They want to do, but sometimes kids just need permission. They need to see somebody else doing what they want to do on a stage or in a plaza or somewhere in their community um, to go, yes, that's what I want to do and then to actually pursue it. And I think what's so special about these programs is these kids may never have an experience to walk through our doors. And so there are programs as well where you're taking the artists that are on the stage. So some kids are going to get to come and see performances. And, and hopefully that school has resources to, to get a bus here or apply for a bus grant to bring their students. Uh, but we know that schools have limited resources. So not every student can come to our facility sometimes. Even though we have scholarships that are available that we want people to participate in. But you... And the organization is going the extra mile to then also take these artists into the schools and, and say, if you can't come here, that's okay. We will bring them, we will bring them to you. 
How do those programs work and what's the power of that? Those programs work by us simply going, okay, we have great artists coming in and they have a great education program um, or they're really excited to work with students and then find, we have to find a partner. Um, so it's identifying artists that are really great and really enthusiastic about working with kids and then finding the right fit. So the school that is interested in that opportunity that is willing to make the logistics work because we all know logistics for a school day are so complicated. Um, so finding great artists, uh, developing out what that residency might look like or those classroom visits might look like, um, and then finding the right the right school partner to execute that with. Um, we, in my time here, you know, a couple of examples. Uh, we had the Reminders, which is a, a hip hop duo. They're actually a married couple, and they are really amazing. Uh, so we had them here for a performance on our Windows on the World series, and we had you know into their contract a couple of engagement activities, whatever that means, right, when you're contracting. Um, so I was able to build out a couple of experiences. So we took them to SASA, which is Saginaw Arts and Sciences Academy down in uh, Saginaw, and they did a school assembly type presentation with like 200 of their performing arts students, which was really incredible, like history of hip hop, super interactive. Those kids had never seen something like that before. Um, but honestly, the most impactful part was when I took them to our juvenile care center. They did two workshops with the with the youth populations there, one which is like a day program and one which is full-time lockup, essentially. And those kids are not being exposed to the arts, right? They have, <laughs> they have um, experiences and issues and problems they have to worry about that are much larger than if they're going to come see a show at the center, right? Um, so the opportunity to bring an artist to them and give them an experience that perhaps takes them away from some of those things, might inspire them to express themselves in a different way, um, let them see themselves a little bit in the in the creative arts uh, was really valuable. And it was impactful for the artist, and it was impactful for the students. Uh, and the, the staff and faculty there too, they had never seen anything like that. They had never um, really had somebody come to them and say, hey, I have an artist, I think this is a really good fit for your students. Can I bring them in? That was the first time that that had happened. Um, and so just to be able to work with, again, a partner that's interested in that and is willing to work with you and facilitate that is really special. And that, I think, is maybe one of the most memorable, day, memorable days of my whole career is seeing that kind of unfold in front of me. And the next generation of young explorers and leaders and artists is key. But there is another generation and another population of our community that sometimes is underserved, and that can be our seniors. Mm -hmm. And the center has a super cool program that focuses on our seniors called Golden Guild. Tell us, what is Golden Guild and what does it work to achieve? Golden Guild is a senior performance program that is driven by seniors for seniors. So it's actually celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. And some of the founding members that started the program 20 years ago are still part of Golden Guild today, which is really wonderful. So essentially what it is, it's a performance program where uh, groups of seniors come together. They might be actors in past life or technicians or just really passionate about the arts. Um, they get together and they put together about a 45 minute show that is skits, songs, jokes, um, radio skits from way back in the day, um, kind of like a variety show. And then they tour that show to senior facilities throughout kind of our service region. So they'll take it to um, 
like a senior living facility, dementia care facility, senior serve like senior services, which does day programming and, and resources for seniors, um, and they all serve anywhere from 500 to 1,000 seniors in a season, depending on COVID, weather, things like that. Um, but it's a really incredible program because it's seniors serving seniors and us, again, taking programming to people that can't necessarily join us here at the center. And that's really key. We're eliminating some of those access barriers, right? Transportation, um, honestly, funding, uh, or you know, cost of tickets. Um, and sometimes seniors don't have family members that can bring them here or a support system that can help facilitate that. So by us like developing a program and actually taking, you know, a 45 minute program doesn't sound like a lot, but I you know, I go and I watch from the back uh, at least once a season. And the joy that it brings and the connection that it brings in those sing along moments, um, reminding people of, you know, joy, you know, memories, joyful moments of the past. Um, and connecting with other people in the community is really valuable. And we really love our Golden Guild participants. They are so enthusiastic, they're so full of joy and passion for this work. And Mitzi, who is one of our longstanding Golden Guild members, she is 83, yeah, she's going on 90. She's like edging up there. She still tap dances every single season in the show um, with her oxygen tank. So she gets up there and she does a full solo tap dance number for the audiences in every single show, uh, which is, I just think, really incredible. And I hope I have that much energy and stamina when I'm her age. I will say I've had the pleasure of meeting Mitzi, and she is a force to be reckoned with, and she's so talented, and it's so cool, and she just radiates joy when she gets to do it and so i think that is really special and so i really love the program because as you mentioned it's seniors serving seniors but um there's so many programs that not so many but there are there are a number of programs or initiatives where people um, perform at senior facilities but we're giving an opportunity to these seniors to continue to perform continue to engage in arts and culture beyond just a patron because so often as seniors um, start to enter that phase of their life, they find themselves as just the patron and the donor. Right. They, see, they feel pushed out of other program areas, right? So this is designed specifically to capitalize on their talents and what they can bring to the table, and is designed specifically for them. Um, you know, so they it's manageable, right? So because some do are slowing down a little bit, maybe have some some physical um, disabilities or, or ailments that you know they can't get out there and do a full production number, but they can do this this variety show that's specifically written for for them to perform for an audience that will really truly appreciate it. Well, Katie, as your colleague, I can certainly say that many people in an organization might have an open heart and care about accessibility, but it is that people like yourself and so folks that are listening today. It is that person that is a constant advocate and is constantly thinking about this work that pushes it forward because as much as we're all thinking about it in our day-to-day -day lives, you have to have that fierce advocate that always pauses or stops the meeting and says, but is this the most accessible? Are we thinking about all people, all people, all capitalized, A-L-L, capitalized, bold, underlined, are we thinking about all people? And as much as we like to think that everyone thinks all people sometimes, their, their initial short-term solution might not be. And so how do we think about all people? Um, and so 
just kudos to you because I know that you really care about that and you are that fierce advocate, not only here, but also with Michigan Presenters and in the conversations that you're having across Michigan and beyond in the Midwest um, to have these conversations with folks and make sure that um, the work you're doing is at the forefront of the conversation and that um, is relevant. But there are so many resources that are out there. What are some resources if somebody was looking to get more information about things such as um, at relaxed performances or um, accessibility in the arts. Where are some resources that you enjoy that you would recommend to some people to participate or learn from? Sure, absolutely. Well, here in the state of Michigan, I would first recommend that people check out the Michigan Alliance for Cultural Accessibility, or MACA. It's um, led by Caroline Braden at the Ford Museum uh, down in Detroit. It's a wonderful resource. They do training, regular trainings. Their board is incredibly passionate about spreading cultural accessibility, not only in the performing arts, but across museums, libraries, any history society, historical societies, any cultural resource in the state. So I highly recommend MACA first. Um, also, there are um, other institutions for our state, you know, Disability Network of Michigan has regional chapters that are wonderful resources, and there are other nonprofits in your communities, uh, including, you know, mental health, physical accessibility, um, you know, educational resources like it, like an educational services agency or career ISD that can also be wonderful resources and partners as well. Um, if you're looking to learn more about sensory-friendly or relaxed performances, a great resource is TDF, or Theater Development Fund, of New York. They are the ones that actually started this movement in the Broadway space probably almost 20 years ago now, um, and they're the ones that really brought this to the forefront and started this movement on Broadway. So they're great resources as well, so you can check them out online, Theater Development Fund. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. And if people want to find more information about Midland Center for the Arts and the programs that are going on there, um, where can they find that information? Go to midlandcenter.org. There's lots of info. Scroll those uh, tabs at the top to look what you're, find what you're looking for. Thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. Thanks for having me, Josh.